You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. Public speaking is one of the number one fears in the United States, and so I applaud young people who at 13, 14, 15 get on stage and say like, Hey, y'all, here's my heart. I'm Ana Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Elizabeth Acevedo. She's the daughter of Dominican immigrants and has written two collections of poetry, Beast Girl and Other Origin Myths, and Medusa Reads La Negra's Palm. The Poet X is her debut novel, and it publishes in March 2017 by Harper Teen. Xiomara Batista feels unheard and unable to hide in her Harlem neighborhood. Ever since her body grew into curves, she's learned to let her fists and attitude do the talking. But secretly, she pours her dreams and frustrations onto the pages of her notebook like prayers. With her mommy's determination to force her to obey the laws of the church, Xiomara understands that her thoughts are best kept to herself. So when she's invited to join her school's slam poetry club, she doesn't know how she could ever attend without her mommy finding out, much less speak her words out loud. But in the face of a world that may not want to hear her, Siomara refuses to be silent. Welcome. Thank you. You are joining us to talk about your new book, your first book. My first book. Called The Poet X. Will you please tell us, tell us what you would want a potential reader to know about this book. I would want them to know it's in verse, because that could be a surprise if you weren't prepared for that. Um, I think I would want a reader to know that the story is unique in some senses. I think in my language, in my ear, and what I'm looking for my character to sound like, but it's really not so unique in others. One of the things I think folks keep saying is this feels like my story. This feels what it was like being a girl growing up, you know, insert city, insert town here. And so that moment is really interesting to me where you think your story is so unique and then someone from a completely different place is saying, no, that's just what womanhood is yeah you are you are you so deftly captured that universality of being um the object of others attention and uh, wanted and unwanted but let's back it up so tell us tell us who our characters are tell us what the setting is and we'll go back to a little bit more about first because it's fascinating and the way that you manage that is, is fantastic but give us the basic got it get, give us just so so that we we know we have it in our mind's eye about this story yeah. So the Poet X is following Xiomara Batista, who is a 15-year-old teen in New York City who doesn't know that she's a poet. So she writes in her journal, and that's the way that she kind of deals with all the frustrations at home and at school and with her own body um, and slowly starts realizing that she likes hearing her poems out loud. She likes hearing her words out loud and finds freedom and empowerment. So a big part of what she's experiencing is, is what I just said, is that she's realizing the attention that she's getting. Mm-hmm. At, at one point, you write, you write a passage about how 
where is it? I've got it. I've got it written. Where it happens, and it happens when I wear shorts. It yeah, happens after. when I wear a dress. It happens whatever. And then the very last line is, it simply never stops. I mean, I'm getting chills just saying it, but I think that's part of what you're talking about is that we all can remember when we realized, oh, that guy over there is looking at me or he's saying something, and it was completely uninvited. And it's a very challenging thing to understand what to do with. It's that funny moment, I think, where um, as you start realizing that you're being sexualized, and what that means, right, at all instances. I'm just going to the bodega to get something to eat. I'm just walking to the train. I'm just, you know, and it's that I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, but I can't stop people from looking and talking at me, right? And that I think that age in particular is difficult because it's also when you realize you're attractive or it feels like, oh, I'm a I'm attractive, so this is a good thing, but I don't feel good about it. And so that complication, I think, of what you're taught is affirmation. What you have to learn is actually affirmation. And, you know, my character is struggling with that. She she looks at boys and wants to see them. She just doesn't want them to see her or to only see, you know, how well-developed she is. Part of this... Um, this book was her learning what her words could be and her words becoming the fist that she had used up until that point because now she's at an age where you can't just fight every man who says something. And so what what then what tools then do you have at your disposal? Because you're not twelve or thirteen where you're the same size anymore. What what happens now? So tell us about the importance of Psalm one nineteen. Because it goes to this very, which is the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So this is the, the psalm that closes out the novel. It's um, one of the quotes that Siomara is reflecting upon. The, the book is um, really contemplating what it means like to grow up within a certain faith and to struggle with faith, particularly as a woman, um, and how you're written about. And so her learning what light her own words can offer to others, right? That arrival at not only does it free me, but it can free someone else too. Learning you're not alone is, I think, one of the most, um, not just rewarding, but it really provides solace to know that what can feel so isolating um, isn't, it just isn't talked about. And she discovers this through words, but through the people that support her words. And I'm thinking of Ms. Galliano, who mm -hmm. there is a passage where she reads a poem in class and and Siomara says, it, it, it's just a poem. And she's just sort of <laughs> trying to keep herself calm. She's like, okay, it's just a poem. It's just a poem. But it felt more like a gift. Yeah. And that just, and that and it, that's sort of the moment that leads her to the whole discovery and and independence, because it's really a book about independence also, is yeah. it not? I, I com yeah, completely. I, I mean, I think it's funny, particularly thinking about words and words as light or words as gifts. Poems do amazing things. When people hear a poem and they say, I got goosebumps, right? There's something physical that it's happens really when we hear certain words that may not be the same when we read them or when it's just music. I got goosebumps, right? This visceral reaction that you have. And so her realizing I physically felt something 
and it wasn't a bad feeling. Yeah. So often when I feel something, there's shame yeah. attached to yeah. it, and this is not shameful. This is, this is making me feel lighter. Um, I think is a a moment that then she starts seeking. Just, How she, do I get this feeling? She builds on it. Yeah. And she she's tended. It's scary, but she she takes the courage and she yeah. and she goes with it. I mean, they say speaking, right? Public speaking is one of the number one, right? fears, number one fears in the United States. And so I applaud young people who at 13, 14, 15 get on stage and say like, yeah. hey, y'all, here's my heart. Exactly. <laughs> Enjoy. Right. Well, so, and you are one of them. So tell us about your life as a poet and your experience as a poet. And what on earth gave you <laughs> the courage to say, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write my first book, and I'm going to write it entirely and exquisitely in verse. I um, I came to poetry really young. I actually made the mistake of saying in an interview that I wrote my first poem at eight, and um, my mom my mom was with me. She's like, no, you wrote your first poem at six, and I still have it, right? So oh. I came to it, you know, even before I remember, honestly, and I think it's, I come from storytellers and wanted always to also contribute my stories. When my parents would tell stories, okay. when they would tell jokes, I wanted to have something to give, right? To go back to that idea of the gift. At about 12 years old, I started writing rap songs. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a hip hop star. And um, when I got to high school, I had a teacher who, uh, Miss Galliano is loosely based on, who had ran a poetry club. And I was like, I don't do poetry. I'm a rapper. And she was like, you should come to the poetry club anyways. All, you know, all things are welcome there. And she pushed me to do my first slam. Really? And um, and how old were you at, at for your first slam? 14. Yeah. I was a freshman and in high you school. And were in, where were you? Were you in New York or D.C.? I was in New York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. How well supported is that opportunity in other cities in the States? Is it growing? It's growing more and more, right? It's growing. So I think, I think as people realize um, how much young people are drawn to spoken word yeah. and how I think it was delegitimized for a while, right? That's not real poetry. It's not academic poetry. Yeah. It's not published poetry. And I think now the lines are a little more complicated because people who perform also have first book, also win, you know, prizes. Also, So now it's a little bit more of, no, it, they're all poems, you know, and how do we really think about what they're doing and how they're effective? And so now cities that may not have had access because of YouTube, because of um, different channels that showcase it, are realizing, oh, this is something we can bring into our schools, and it's a way to give our students a voice. A voice, literally, yeah. And I mean, there are several national slams for youth poets that happen um, throughout the country, and they're growing, right? So when I was 14, I competed for New York City at one of the big slams, and I think there were probably let's say about 25, 30 teams there. And I think now it's upwards of like 60 wow, that show terrific. up. And so, you know, states are sending multiple teams. It's, and so it's it's really growing. And I get emails from students who are like, I don't have anything like this where I'm from, but I do nothing but watch YouTube videos. I do nothing yeah. but look at poems I online. See. Yeah. So what do you hope, who, who do you hope to reach through a book publication that you that you think you might not be reaching through your activities as a poet and and through spoken word events like what who who is that reader that you hope to get to I think one of the the things that books can do is you can stumble across a book 
right? Or you can have a librarian who's like, I think you might like this. I see. Or it might be, yeah. you know, mandated reading at school. Yeah. In a way that sometimes you go online looking for what you want, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. That's, yeah, that that's moment of discovery, yeah, yeah. I think, is a little bit different. There are right. books I right. didn't think I would read, but a teacher or someone put it in my hand, and then I realized I love this in a way that's a little bit different when it's just you surfing online for maybe a thing you like, that you don't know to look for it yet. And so I'm really hoping that um, students who are very much like Siomara, maybe growing up in New York City who don't know this exists because their world is very small or very limited to just what they know, as well as students in you know, Wisconsin and Tucson or yeah, you know, yeah, South yeah. Dakota, like yeah. anywhere who someone says, you know, you should check this out. And that's very likely to happen. That could happen through an indie bookstore. That could right. happen through a library. That could happen through Audible on right. hearing an audiobook or right. somebody recommending it that way. Yeah, that, I think that yeah. makes sense, and I'm sure that's that's likely to happen. So you you determined that you would like to write a, a, a full length novel. Tell because I always I'm always interested as much in the writing process as in the publishing process. Mm-hmm. So. How how did you find your agent? How did you find your editor? Mm-hmm. What what was that process like? So it's funny. This is my first novel published, but there were two others written before this, and they were written in prose. And um, I think they were fascinating ways for me to learn how to write a story because poems are so small and so yeah. different, right? Yeah. They contain themselves in different ways. Right. And I realized that the voice I needed for this manuscript, which was the first I started, but not the first I finished, um, needed to be in verse. This character needed to kind and you, of... And you figured that out on your own. And you said, okay, you know what? I I'm, hope I I'm, did. No, yeah, you said, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go. Because it takes, it takes some writers a long time to understand the influence of voice, you know? And yeah. like you said, it can it can take several drafts or several different projects right. that you start and you stop. Yeah, I was lucky that I've done a lot of different poetry workshops and voice is always emphasized. Of course, of like, course. you know, what is the singular voice that your work is going to have? Not just one poem, but a collection, not mm. just a collection, but your career. What is the voice that people hear the poem and they know it's yours? And so I kind of came with that to this manuscript, except now it wasn't my voice. Now it's, okay, what is her voice and how is it distinct from how I would regularly write a poem? Um, And that gets a little blurred, right? I definitely use some pieces from when I was a 10th grade high schooler, almost as like to calibrate myself. Like, okay, (laughs) is this how a 15-year-old writes? Is this (laughs) how they think? Is this, this, you know, true and accurate? So I had this, I had this manuscript and I, my 6th and 8th grade teacher, he was the same person, he taught me two years of middle school, is a full-time author. And when I was teaching eighth grade, he reached out to me and said, um, I think you should send your book to my agent, to the agent at my, to an agent at my agency. And uh, I had like 40 pages of this manuscript and I sent it along. And, you know, Joan Paquette was kind of like, this is great. Send the rest. And I was like, what rest? There's no rest. <laughs> I haven't written the rest. And so I went on and wrote other things that, you know, were not very good. Um, and I returned to this book, and when I sent it to her, how much? How much longer? It how? took her a month to ask for the full, and then about a month later to get back to me. So pretty quick for oh no, that's very for quick, a lot yeah. of agents. But it was how long did it take you to sort of go back to it and then get it enough to send her the full? Yeah. When I decided to go back to it, I went back to it with yeah. a vengeance. So I went back right? in Tell January, me. and by February, no. I had I had it done, and then. 
I sent it to her at the beginning of March. So I had beta readers and I was working on this. I mean, I tore full time. So I would go do a full performance, come back to my hotel room and work for hours, get it done, revised it within like a week, revised it a second time after beta readers. I was not playing. Once I really had my head set, like I'm going to I'm going to get a publishing deal this year. Which was like a you know lofty goal. I didn't know if that was true, but I just kind of was like, I'm gonna put blinders on, and go for it. And you know, I sent it in March. I was her client in April, and the book sold first week of June. So that's somewhat remarkable. It was that's, something that's completely remarkable. <laughs> it's and a it, whirlwind. It was. It was a whirlwind. Tell me a bit about the beta. The beta readers. Who were they? So one was my teacher, my okay. former teacher, um, who's been writing for a long time now, and I think just has a great sense of story. Um, and then there was a woman I met at a conference who's also Dominican-American, working on her first manuscript as well, uh, was a journalist prior to being a novelist. And so a completely different style of writing, mm-hmm. but culturally really got uh, it. So I was trying I to get diverse readers who were going to find the nuances, and none were poets. So yeah, kind of seeing, like, will this work? Um, I sent it after afterwards. So after I already had the publishing deal, I was kind of like, like, all right, y'all. this publishing deal? Tell me what you think, but... <laughs> Regardless of what you say, are these poems it's on sale in the summer? <laughs> oh, less that and more. I didn't want to second guess my voice too oh, much. Course, I was looking yeah. more for, you know, plot and character development, and I wanted more fiction writers. And so yeah. after, then I wanted more. Let's look at language. Let's look at word choice. Let's look at structure. But I didn't want that to get ahead of the story, at least initially. I see. And how how I hear. Um, Authors talk about receiving that edit letter mm-hmm. once they have submitted and, and they've, they've joined their editor. What was that experience like for you? Does Rosemary write a mean um, edit letter? Oh, my God. Don't Rosemary. worry. She's not listening. <laughs> she, you know, Rosemary is the sweetest, just the absolute sweetest. Even in her letters, it's just like just so sweet. Um, and so I remember getting the letter um, and Rosemary actually said that it was a pretty short letter. She's like, I don't, they're usually longer than this. So I, I have no frame of reference except for the one she sent me. But um, she thought it was in pretty good shape initially. And I was okay with getting a really long one, right? Like, this was great news. But the way that we sat with it and how many rounds we went through it, even after that, I was kind of like, is it right? You know, like, can we can we look at it one more time? You know, Rosemary's great about like, all right, let's give it another pass. Um, just really making sure... That it was as precise and as, I don't know, real. I just yeah, want it to yeah, be real. Yeah, it is. It, it, it reads that way. It reads yeah. so real. You, you, yes. But it, it's so real. As you say, it's so specific and yet so universal. That's what's, yeah. that's what such the beauty of it is. And how was your cover process? Oh, it was so good. I mean, I'm so lucky with my team here. And Rosemary just keeps me like abreast of every situation. So I got to see the designers that were like the finalists. And I got to give my input and then I got the sketches and the, you know, I got to see and be a part of every bit of the process. Um, And so for me, it felt like these beautiful sneak peeks. Like whenever I get emails from like Rosemary or Courtney, I'm like, yeah, like cover (laughs) info. Um, And I'm just delighted. I think I think the cover is beautiful. I think the girl on the cover, like Xiomara, is beautiful. I think her hair and the hummingbirds and all of the pieces that were pulled from the poems mm-hmm. to to actually be the face of the book um, mm-hmm. just feels so right, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, um, 
I do something with authors where I sort of crib from the Proust um, questionnaire. Um, but I, I, I add as a writer at the end of the, the questions. So okay. here, I'm going to ask you a few questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, to what faults do you feel the most indulgent as a writer? This can be your... Oh, I love slang. Kind of, you love slang? I love voiced, like really voiced dialogue. And so I have to remember, like, is this going to age well? But I'm just like, it's such a good word. What turns you off as a writer? I don't like jam-packed endings. Oh. Like when it, when it feels like mean? there's... When there's so much action trying to be tied off tied in 10, 15 pages. And I'm like, we could have... We could have like eased that a little bit more. I'm okay with a slow burn. That's a really interesting answer. I love that answer. Um, what is your favorite virtue as an author? <laughs> um, I think particularly because this novel is in verse, uh, brevity and just precision of language, right? If it's If there's repetition, it's completely on purpose and it's a sound device not because you waste words yeah um what is your dream of happiness as a writer a room of her own mm. yeah i want to be able to have a place that's where the books happen and where do you write so i have an office in in my house my partner and i bought a house about a year ago which has been beautiful to have a space but it's still in the house. I want like a little shed out oh. back with flowers that <laughs> just, just leave me alone. <laughs> Tell me, I, I one thing that I've asked people and I always get an interesting answer is, how do you name your characters? What do you use to, to prompt those names? I, I use experience. Yeah. So names that I love from girls I knew growing up or guys I knew growing up or family members. Um, that I don't see in books because they're probably hard to pronounce or to spell. And so those are the names I want. I don't want, you know, we have a lot of Elizabeths in books. but Right, like, right, right. You want that, yeah. That I want Siomadas and Yahiras and Sinedas. And you've got them. Way to go. <laughs> well, what natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? Oh, I envy folks who are just like plotters. Mm. Who are like, I just know beats. Like people who like have done screenwriting and really just get like every scene has this quick purpose. Like I envy that. I'm like well, I have a character and you like... accomplished that, but I guess it was harder for you. I mean, you certainly accomplished that. Yeah, it was like me following my character through mazes and then be like, all right, this is where we end up. Cool, but like outlining, girl, bye. No, so you don't outline at all. I try. Do you know your endings? I usually know where we're gonna end up loosely. Yeah. And then sometimes it works and sometimes... And sometimes you're surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised a lot. And what are you working on now? So I am wrapping up the first draft of what would be the second book, um, potentially. And so it's a dual narrative. And so we're going we're gonna to see. And is it prose or verse? So it's verse. And prose. <laughs> and prose. And it's... it's we don't know yet. We don't know yet. It's okay. <laughs> and by we, just me and my I know. character. I, I, it's almost an obnoxious question. I mean, here you are at the publication <laughs> of your first book. Like, why are you asking me no. about my next book? It's, it's I just have annoying. multiple things in the works. And so it's really going to be about sitting down with Rosemary and thinking about what's the best next project. I see. So there's 
there's something I've been working on that's prose, there's something I've been working on that's verse, and it's just what feels the closest yeah. to like ready. And you're, you continue all of your work as a poet and as a performer, correct? Yeah, so I'm, I start my tour back up in the middle of September. I have about 35 shows this semester. I do mostly colleges, so I mm-hmm. go by semesters. Mm-hmm. Um, 35 I have my, in the semester, that's a lot. That's less than years. But that was me slowing down because right? of the book. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then my first collection of poems will be coming out in about a year or two. So oh, there are all so kinds of things in the works. Who Who's influenced you? If you, if you had to name... A couple poets. Who would you name? I uh, feel so indebted to Lucille Clifton. Mm-hmm. She's just one of the most beautiful writers. Uh, Natalie Diaz, who's a contemporary poet, but um, her first book was really the reason I finished my first manuscript of poems when my brother was an Aztec, which is um, a gorgeous, gorgeous book. And a lot of, honestly, a lot of contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Denise Smith is a beautiful, beautiful writer. Um, Clint Smith who is also a performer mm-hmm. and, like, you know, speaker and just incredible mind around social justice mm. and prison reform and the way that you can take these big concepts yeah. and then write, distill it into moments yeah. that people can carry they, in a that poem. That they can manage. Yeah. Because sometimes that can feel so yeah. big. Because I think that's what you're successful in doing in your work as well, it, it is sort of sharing with us the point of view, but in a manageable and sort of just such a lyrical way that it, yeah. it's less, it's just less depressing. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's less <laughs> depressing. I mean, we're still thinking about it, yeah. but we're thinking about it in all of its complexity and beauty. You bring beauty to everything that oh, thank you. you that you examine, and I I very much appreciate that because it's, I I feel often so overwhelmed by the same topics right. that you're talking about, but when you're talking about them, it lets me in. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think when you when you ground it. For folks, when you make it human, when you make it a person, yeah, and not a system, that's right. That can uh, it's just a little way in. Yeah, and your yeah. language is just so remarkable. I I thank I thank you so much for everything that you you've written because it's so beautiful. And I oh. thank you for the time that you took with us today. Thanks so much. I hope that you uh, continue enjoying the work and oh. that read. I mean, listeners will enjoy it too. So yeah. thanks for having me. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you have, that you'll subscribe. To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone.